Thanks, Neil. I don't want you to lose track of what you just sang this morning because the first song we sang, we said that God has done great things. That's a past tense. That's like it's already finished. He has done it. But we also just sang that Jesus Christ is my living hope. So there's something he has done, but there are also things in Hebrews 10 today that he's going to say he is doing. And so it matters that Jesus Christ is alive, right? If he's going to promise me that he's working on me, with me, through me right now, then it matters that he's a living hope, that he is active today. So go ahead and look up Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to be in the first 14 verses today. And as we do that, I want to ask you just a couple of questions, kind of a kind of a gut check for you to help you be ready for this passage. So one of those is this. Have you committed to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ alone because of his sacrifice, his resurrection for your forgiveness? If you answer yes to that question then that's what the Bible describes as being saved. (laughs) That you know that your relationship with God is not on your own merits, it's through Jesus Christ alone, and you've trusted him for forgiveness. It's what Hebrews has been reminding us of like every week. The second question is this. As you think about your life, is there anything in your life right now that makes you doubt that salvation? Any pattern of thought, pattern of behavior, compromise. If you're like me, you definitely have times in your life where you say that the answer to the first one is yes. I know that it's Christ alone and he is what, you know, he's my forgiveness and he's my savior and he has made me right with God. Also, there's this thing that I did, though, like way back when, and well, there's this mistake that I made yesterday and what if I mess up tomorrow that makes you start to feel like maybe you're not saved. And I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, with friends, just over the years, where we kind of waffle between these things. Well, if that's you, if that's you today, if that's ever been you, if, if, if like you've never thought of that, then just release it. <laughs> Don't start thinking that way. Because the reality is, if the answer to the first question is yes, there should be no answer to the second question. I, I was kind of messing with you. That if your confidence is in Christ for your forgiveness, then there is nothing that can separate you from him, no matter what you fill in that blank with that makes you kind of wonder if maybe it not after all. And Hebrews 10 wants to help us with that by, by showing us what our problem is, but also how God solves that problem with a position and a process. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. Check out Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. And remember that for the writer, there are no chapter breaks. So this is hot on the heels of the fact that Jesus is our one sacrifice forever and we are eager for him to appear. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. So you catch what he's saying here? Same thing he's been saying. He's bringing up the sacrifices again, that they happen all the time. When he says year by year, he's specifically thinking of the Day of Atonement. That one time a year, only that one time, that only the high priest can go into the Holy of Holies so that everyone can be forgiven for another year. 
But he's saying even that, even the biggest of all the sacrificial days, can never make the worshiper, those who approach, perfect. So here's the problem. You're not perfect. Gut punch, right? Just found out. <laughs> How terrible. I can't believe, I, that's why I don't go to church. Right? Like, here's, here's what he's saying, though. You see that within that is the assumption that the goal is for you to be perfect. And if the sacrifices had worked, then we wouldn't keep doing them. Because you'd say, hey, does anybody need the Day of Atonement this year? Anybody need forgiveness? Nobody? Okay, great. It worked. All right, I knew it. Last year it worked. We're all perfect now. Not the case. And yet there's assumption in there that the goal is perfection. So I probably should say we're not perfect because it's me too. <laughs> and yet the Bible presents this picture that if you think that you're going to stand in the presence of God, if you think that on the day that your life on this earth ends, you're going to be received into heaven, into his kingdom, you have to be perfect. You have to be completely without sin. And really, in a way, that's what the Day of Atonement was all about. That God was demonstrating for them, what we've seen through Hebrews was a copy and a shadow of how it was actually possible for imperfect people to be forgiven and made perfect. And so I'm going to let Chad explain that for you a little bit in a video here that we've been using in our exploring series called Adventures with God, kind of through that time period of history that God was offering them these things. Because at the Day of Atonement, they specifically used two goats to present this picture, both of the sacrifice that we need, but also of how sins can be removed. Now, as you watch this, you'll notice that our two goats are actually sheep. I, I was going to tell you, don't tell Chad, but he's sitting right there. <laughs> so... Just don't let that distract you because they actually look a lot like the kid of a mountain goat. So don't let that distract you as he describes for us how God makes it clear that we can have that forgiveness. Let's watch. Have you ever heard the term scapegoat? I think in our culture it's got a negative connotation, but it's the idea in our culture that you know somebody evil got away with it because somebody innocent got scapegoated here. Well, that idea, that term comes from this Jewish ceremony. You see, the priest's job was to find two goats and to lead people into God's forgiveness. And part of doing that was finding two goats. It says in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 5, He shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats, as one a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. So the priest would find these two goats and then he would cast lots. Think of it like rolling of the dice. Which one's the lucky one that uh, ends up escaping, and which one is the one that ends up dying? Whoever was the highest number, so to speak, is the one that would escape. That's the escape goat. He, he got to go free. The other one became the sacrificial goat. This one is the sacrificial goat. So the, the priest would come before it and place his hand on the goat. A symbol that everything he had done wrong, everything the people of God had done wrong, was being transferred into this goat. Then, this goat, sadly, would end up dying to offer forgiveness or cover what they'd done wrong. Now, that's weird to us. It's almost gruesome to us. But it's really a symbol that God was willing to allow something innocent to die 
so that you could be freed or you could be forgiven. Now, the other goat was a scapegoat. This was the lucky one. The priest would also transfer by putting his hand onto that goat, a symbol of the transference of all the wrongdoing to this goat. Well, this goat didn't die. He was the scapegoat. He would actually be led out into the wilderness and be allowed to go free. A symbol that he had escaped punishment. Also a symbol that God separates us from our wrongdoing. God forgives and God forgets. God forgives and God forgets. All right, so hold those two words in your mind. Because as we come back to Hebrews chapter 10, pick up with verse 2. He writes, For then would they not have ceased to be offered? So like, if the sacrifices made us perfect, we would have quit doing them. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. So I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, I think, doesn't that, what Chad just said, so how could there be a reminder for sins if the, go, if the scapegoat, the whole point is that he forgets, he takes it away, he removes it. Like, what, what does this mean? Because see, we saw in chapter 9 that the sacrifices can never cleanse your conscience. We're seeing in chapter 10 that they cannot make you perfect. But I remember from chapter 8 that God said, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. And he'll actually say that again later in chapter 10, that God is telling you, functionally speaking, although he's omniscient, he will remember your sins no more. He is willing to forgive and forget, to never bring it up again, to never hold it against you, to never say, yeah, but what about that one time? You see, that's actually what the sacrifices do. God doesn't do that. It's the sacrifice. Every time they have to bring another bull, another goat, another sheep, Every time somebody raises their hand and says, I need the Day of Atonement again this year, why? Oh, people have been sinning again, haven't they? That the sacrifices are a constant reminder that they were still trapped under the law and under sin. And so he says that it was never possible. Bulls and goats could never fix this problem. So what do we do? We're going to need a better sacrifice, right? A, a better offering. Well, the author of Hebrews anticipates this, and I love how he answers the challenge that is probably in the mind of his readers by going straight to the Old Testament. So in verses 5 through 7, he's actually going to quote Psalm 40, verses 6 through 8. So rather than saying, I know you never heard this before, but I was thinking about it, and I came up with this cool idea, maybe this is how God works. <laughs> He actually points them to the Bible in their hands and says, let me show you what God has actually been saying all along. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, your sin had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So literally, in the Old Testament, an author who is living under the law writes, you don't desire sacrifices and you have no pleasure in them. Which sounds counterintuitive, right? But I thought, isn't God the one who said to do them? But it's sort of like we mentioned last week, that God does not take pleasure in things having to die for sin. 
Like when sin happens, God takes no pleasure in that. And when something has to die for it, he doesn't sit back and say, no, that feels good. No, because none of this is part of the perfect picture and plan that God has for us. So while an ultimate sacrifice becomes necessary, bulls and goats and sheep, he's told us they're a shadow. They're a shadow. They're, they're not the thing that God really loves. Like, hey, I know you were a jerk all week long, but you brought me five bulls and I love when you slaughter those things. Right? It's like, no, he has a better picture for us. He has something more perfect in mind. That if it's true that my standard is that I have to be perfect to be in the presence of God and the sacrifices can never do it, that even the, the, the two goats that paint that picture for me weren't enough, then there's something else that we need. And you notice in these verses that Hebrews begins to pick up on the fact that Psalm 40 was kind of reporting for us a conversation that was happening in heaven. Because he sees this as Jesus speaking these words. That when he came into the world, right? Like when Jesus is getting ready for the first Christmas, he says to the Father, I know that these sacrifices, these bulls, these goats, those aren't really what you want, but you've prepared a body for me. I'm going down there in the flesh and I will be obedient. Behold, he says, I have come and in the volume of the book it is written of me. Which is exactly what we saw last week in Luke 24 when Jesus can have all of his friends around and show them how the entire thing was about him the entire time. And in a way, I think that this is a little bit like what our equipping service is. That the author of Hebrews pulls something out of the Bible... In a second, he's going to paraphrase it for them to kind of help it make sense and then explain a little bit of what that means in light of Jesus, which is exactly what we're doing right now. I hope it's making sense. Because look at what he does then in, in verses 8 through 10. The, the 8 and 9 are basically the same thing again. So like, just in case you fell asleep, he's going to repeat himself. Previously saying, like, like I literally just said, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. So catch this now, because if you've ever wondered what is God's will for your life, like how many times do we go back and forth, like, should I take this job, should I take that job, should I move over here, should I move over there? And like, God, what is your will for my life? I don't want to miss it. Okay, here it comes. You ready? This is what he is claiming is God's will. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That's what he wants for you. That's his will. That's his desire. That's what pleases him. And you got to catch this because that word sanctified is one of those big religious words, right? Like what in the world does sanctified actually mean? Well, it basically means to be set apart and to be made holy. And what I want you to hear in that is, believe it or not, it's actually less about behavior. You see that? It's more about position. It's about that relationship. That a person who is sanctified is not Mother Teresa, although I think she was sanctified. <laughs> it's not a person who has finally figured out how to never sin again because they are truly a sanctified saint. Instead, it's a person who is set apart to God. It's the kind of language that has been used for the holy things throughout the Bible. They're set apart. This belongs to God now. Then when it talks about the Christ follower, the person who says, I believe Jesus is my forgiver, and I believe Jesus is my king, and I want to live for him today. 
My life is no longer my own. The things that I do are no longer about me. Me and this part of my life, this part of my life, this part of my life are set apart to God. And now we're going to go into grammar a little bit, so hang with me here if this is not your thing. But I love this because what he's going to do in the Greek here, it is the strongest, most complete, absolutely no holds barred, cannot be changed no matter what verb tense in the entire Greek language. That verb that we have been sanctified is in the perfect passive tense. So the perfect tense in the Greek language is doing exactly that. It's saying this is a past event. It has already happened. And it's not hanging out there waiting to be finished. It is done. And you can't change it. So think about what it means that he uses that tense for how you are sanctified. How you are set apart to God. That once you have been set apart for God, that cannot be changed. You are locked in. You are in the presence of God through Jesus Christ himself. And not only that, it's passive. One of the best things in the entire Bible is when it uses passive verbs in this way. Because what that means is, you can't do it. It's done to you. It's done for you. You did not set yourself apart for God. You did not sanctify yourself. God has done that for you. So that's where the solution to the problem comes in. Because if the problem is that I'm not perfect, then he says, perfect passive tense, you are sanctified. And then check out 11 to 14. He says, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down because it's done. No other priest could ever sit down because every day they've got to do it again. But Jesus sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. There's a hint even there that not everybody's going to accept this. And then he says, for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Right there, perfected forever. Perfect passive verb tense in the Greek language. It's complete, it's done, and it can't be changed. The solution to our problem begins with position. That your position is to be perfected. Now notice right away what this does not say. It does not say, be perfect. There are places in the New Testament that will use that language. We are absolutely called to it. We know that that's what it takes to stand before God is to be perfect. But Hebrews wants to be very clear, not just to first century Jews, but to all of us who are prone to this thinking that's like, okay, I'm going to go do it. And then one year later, we're like, I missed again. <laughs> you know, I blew it again. I don't know about you. I don't have to wait a year to realize that. It's in the passive tense. You be perfected by God through Jesus Christ. He does that. And when you receive that, it is complete. It is done. Then what does it mean to be perfected? If I'm sitting here this morning, I'm standing up here, and I'm like, okay, I'm willing to accept this. I, I have trusted Christ as my Savior. And you're saying that means I don't have to find out if I'll be per I'm perfect right now. So like after today, if you're a Christ follower, you go home, you tell your family, 
Hey, everybody. I'm perfect. And just see how they kind of like, right. So what are we talking about? Well, when I get questions like that, I want to have tools that help me understand what I'm reading in the Bible. I don't know about you, but there are many times reading the Bible that I hit something that's like, okay, I think my eyes glazed over. I better read that again. And then I read it like the third time, and I'm like, I still don't get what I'm reading here, and I need a little help. And so I've showed you this before, but I want to show you again because one of my absolutely favorite Bible tools is an app called Blue Letter Bible. And why I love this is because it has so many different tools packed into one app. So it's not just the Bible, but I, I love this. Literally, we're talking about Hebrews 10. I'm just going to tap on verse 14. And there is an online, there's a web version of this too, if you prefer that. When I click verse 14, it brings up this whole list of tools. Make your own notes, listen to messages, all kinds of stuff. I'm going to click text commentaries. Okay, this is where guys who have studied the word have put together some of their notes to help understand these passages. There's a bunch of stuff. But because we're friends, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of a shortcut. One of my favorites is David Gusick. He's always right near the top. And it's partly because he will glean from some of the other commentaries, put some quotes in there, good stuff. So it's almost like you get a, a summary of the research on these passages when you read through his stuff. Same thing. Tap, study guide for Hebrews 10. And then here it is. All the notes that he's pulled together verse by verse through Hebrews 10. So you can scroll through. You can read the whole thing. Or because we're on 14, look right at the top there. Because I clicked 14, it says click here to jump straight to Verse 14, and here's the kind of stuff that you'll find. Here's one that he's actually pulled from another, from another commentary, this Spurgeon quote, exactly on our question, then what does it mean that we're perfect? What a glorious word. Those for whom Christ has died were perfected by his death. It does not mean that he made them perfect in character so that they are no longer sinners, but that he made those for whom he died perfectly free from the guilt of sin. When Christ took their sins upon himself, sin remained no longer upon them, for it could not be in two places at one and the same time. I love that. <laughs> like, sin can't be in two places at once. So if Jesus, like that scapegoat, has taken my sin on himself and taken it away, then it's not on me anymore. Past, present, and future is not on me anymore. And not only that, I'm free from the guilt of it. See, that's where I think we feel it more often. I was sitting with a few buddies last night watching the Ohio State game, and when it was 7 to nothing Akron, like, this is not happening really, right? Like, it's early, right? You know, you got plenty of football to talk about, but as the scores started to drift toward 59 to 7, <laughs> and this thing is well in hand. We got time to talk about other stuff. And one of the guys brought up our study here in Hebrews. And he said, it has been awesome. Because you, you know what I love about it? Is that like every week I get this reminder that I know I can't live up to it. I have to trust Jesus. Uh, yeah, like that is so good. That I'm free from the guilt of the mistakes I've made. Because I know that in Christ I'm perfect. But at the same time, like, there's, there's three of us, like, the fire's going behind us and the TV's in front of us. It's, like, just how you're supposed to do this kind of stuff, burgers and hot dogs. And, and we're sitting there, and it's like, yeah, yeah. 
but I don't, I don't feel that way all the time. Because like, here's what happened with my kid this week. Oh, my word. This is what happened with my kid this week. Oh, my word. That's just like me. And this is what happened to my kid this week. And all of us felt like there was at least one thing that week that we didn't handle the way that we wish we'd handle it. Because we're perfect, but we're not perfect. And there's something, I'll just be honest. You probably feel this too. There's something really sweet about that. Like, it's not just me. You know, I'm not alone in this thing. And yet there is also something that in us wants to do better. Like we want to grow, right? And as we study God's word, he wants that for us. Like so you will see Hebrews constantly remind you, you are locked into heaven by the presence of Jesus Christ himself. He is your anchor. Don't you doubt it for a second. Now grow. Now be diligent. Now persevere. Now do not go backwards. It's going to hurt. And I think that's why we feel that tension. Because if you said to yourself, hey, I'm perfect, so it doesn't really matter what I do. I mean, who cares? You're probably not quite getting the complete message here, right? If you look back and say, hey, I, you know, I don't know. I went to church when I was a kid, and I believed it, and so leave me alone, and I do what I want. There's probably something missing there that God is calling us to in our lives. And so instead, I, I love the tension that Hebrews brings out because it gives us this sense that, yes, I am made perfect, but I still feel this need to be more like Christ. I still feel those gaps where I look back and I wish I'd followed him in that moment. But if you're free from guilt, instead of that being the moment that I wonder if maybe I'm not even saved after all, or maybe like it's just me and I'm the only one with problems, and if you're free from guilt... You just get to talk to Jesus about it. Lord, here's a place I think I was following my own lead instead. Thank you for showing me a better way. Help me to follow you. To just keep coming back to Christ. And that's something that I've struggled with at times in my walk as a Christ follower. And I know I've got a number of friends and, and people around me that like we hit these moments. And so sometimes you just need to kind of create that space to let God speak into. And so I went to lunch with my friend Pete one day several years ago here at Horizon and Pete has a way with words he was a, an editor for the Enquirer and so I knew like if I Pete's going to give me like a quotable quote if I could just kind of process this with him a little bit and as we were sitting at lunch I, I basically just kind of told him this is what I was struggling with you know it's like I know what the Bible says I've believed it for years and yet I'm sitting here today and I got to be honest like I lose sleep sometimes feeling like man God but I keep messing up what does that mean? And what, what does that mean about you and how you feel about me? And like, what, what do I kind of, what do I do with this? I want to be better. And, and what Pete told me was, I think you're focused on the wrong thing. Okay. He says, I, th I think you're focused on trying to be better. But yes, I am. Because <laughs> I, I can name you. I mean, I can make the list. I can show you the mistakes, right? Yes, I want to be better. That's what I'm focused on. And this is what he told me that... Um, I think I'll never forget, and, and I was just telling him a couple weeks ago, this is one of the things I'm so thankful, just being around other people who are pursuing Christ the way you're trying to. He told me, I think you need to focus on grace. Man, do I need that reminder. Because it's easier for me to think, here's all the wrong things, here's what I should have done, make my new list, and I'll go be more Christian today somehow. And what I find is that that's the same list then when I'm laying in bed in the middle of the night, like, I blew it again. I'm a bad dad. I messed up. I, you know, I thought I was getting better at this. And, and what I found is if I focus on grace, if I think about this truth, if God has already made me perfect and nothing changes that, 
if my relationship with him is such that even if I mess up, that when I realize that, it's like he says, I know. So now that, now that you realize it, you know, I just picture this like, like an earthly dad, like, give me a hug. You're going to be okay. I'll help you with this. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's freedom. And I think that that's exactly what Hebrews has been encouraging us to do. To stay focused on grace, to stay focused on Christ. And so check this out. If you come back to verse 14 with me for a second, I I love this verse. This is like one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible now because of how it perfectly captures this tension. It says, for by one offering he has perfected forever. Right? That's our perfect passive tense. Those who are being sanctified. Well, wait a second. He said in in verse 10 that we have been sanctified. I I love this. The Bible uses this language all over the place. That there's this idea that you have been sanctified because of Christ's work on the cross. When you trust him for that, it's done. You've been set apart for God. You belong to him from now on. And this one's actually present passive. Still not something you can do for yourself. You cannot sanctify yourself. I cannot sanctify you. You can't sanctify me. This is something that God does. That he has perfected us forever. And he is sanctifying us. But the fact that it's in the present means he's continuing that process in our lives. That he's helping me to find the places that I haven't set apart for him. I'm still holding them on for me. You know, the places where I thought I set that apart for him, but I just took a little bit of it back today and I didn't even realize it. He says, no, no, let's, let's set that apart for Christ again. And it does not change for a second that I have been sanctified and I am set apart for God permanently. It's just the practical piece as I live that out and become more like Christ. And so that's really the third thing. That's the other part of the solution, that just as our position is that we're perfected, our process is to keep being sanctified. And once again, that's passive for us. Then instead of me going out there and saying, all right, today's the day I make myself holy. Go for it and come talk to me after you fail. (laughs) You know, like nothing personal, but you cannot do it on your own. But instead, to realize that what the Bible's describing is that like you have been sanctified, you have been set apart, you are being set apart, because when he returns, you will be set apart. Like the Bible uses this kind of language that you've been saved because Christ's work is done. On the cross, he shouted, tetelestai, which means it is finished. Guess what verb tense that was in? Perfect. It's the perfect. It cannot be changed. It is done once and for all. And yet it also says that he is saving us right now. Not only that our sin has been removed and we're freed from the guilt of it, but that he is releasing it, us from the power of it in our lives as we follow him. And it will also talk about how he will save us. Because when he comes back, he is going to bring us home. And that for him, he looks at it all as one big picture and one big promise that he has already made and it's guaranteed. I'm not waiting to see if any of those parts really work out after all. I get to live in the freedom that he does it. It reminded me of a, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, a couple months ago, I guess, but I listened to this guy who was describing his life as a businessman and as a Christ follower. And it was like, 
awesome story. You know, he, he started his own business. It went really well. The whole family got involved, and they still like each other, which seems like that is, I don't know, it doesn't work for me <laughs> but to, to be in business with family. But it was good. Like, everything was good. He was a Christ follower, and he read through his Bible every year. And he's like, since 1976. So I will never catch up to this guy. <laughs> like, I, man, but talk about a sanctified man. Like, this must be the guy, right? And then he said, but it was really in the last five years. So 45 years as a Christ follower, and he felt like he was almost entirely plateaued for most of that time. And a few years ago, God got his attention, and he realized it's because every day he would read the Bible so he could feel like he read the Bible. And then he would try to pick something that was like, and this is what I've got to do today. And sometimes it would stick for a couple days, and sometimes it would flop out and whatever. And what he noticed was the list just kept getting longer of things he needs to do to be better. And I hope you can hear this because it's like, you know, when the Bible tells us to be wise, when it tells us to be righteous, when it tells us to be kind, when it tells us to be forgiving, like those are things God calls us to do. But he realized that in his relationship with God, like the God time was almost not get it out of the way. Like he liked it. He enjoyed it. He felt like he was understanding God more. But then it was almost like the rest of the day was him trying to do it. You catch that subtlety? He said what changed for him was he was reading John 15 where it says, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. That Jesus loves you with the perfect love that the Father loved him with. And then Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So he gets out the thing and he writes it down. Okay, today's, this is today's you know, top ten new rules of my Christianity. Love as Jesus. How? And what changed in his walk with Christ was he realized that most of the time he had still been focused on what are the rituals and what are the rules so today I can be a better person. And he shifted to how do I focus on Christ? That I can't go out there and say I'm going to love better today. What he really needed to do was look at Jesus and say, how does Jesus love? Celebrate Jesus for loving him that way. And then just give the spirit permission to work in him through that day. And of course, he's still not perfect, right? In terms of behavior. But he is perfect in terms of his position before God. And he's found that by creating that space for God, he begins to enjoy the sanctification that he experiences as God sets more and more things apart for himself in his life. And I think that's what Hebrews has been encouraging us to do. And so I actually want to share just a couple of things with you real quick that I would refer to as like tools for sanctification. But, but I got to be careful even as I say that because I don't want you to, to hear this and then say, okay, if I do that and if I do that and if I do that, then maybe we won't need the Day of Atonement next year. <laughs> yes, you will. <laughs> so what I want you to hear is instead that these are tools that we try to share with each other that ultimately what they're doing is creating space in your life where you're saying, God, I want you to keep doing that work in my life. Not the things that become rote like, oh, I feel better. I, I went to a group this week. That means, that means I'm a good person, right? Now, even those things are to create space for God to work. And, and so one of those, you know, we've mentioned this a couple times recently, is the pathway that we're putting together every week. A written guide and a video that goes with it that, guess what? When you get to heaven, 
God is not going to ask you how many of these you filled out or how many of these you read or, or any of that. He's not going to say, I noticed you uh, didn't use the pathway for a couple of months there. It's not it. But if it helps you, it's a tool to help you dig into these passages to personalize them and to give God space to work them out in your life. You know, similar to that is the groups that we do. That there's nothing like magical about if I sign up for a group and as, and as long as I make it like 60% of the time, then, I'm, then I must be getting closer to perfect, right? No, but the idea is it is so valuable to create space with other people. To say, God, this is time I've set aside. I want to see you do that sanctifying work in my life, setting apart more of me for you. And so just a couple that we've got coming up on October 11th at 7 p.m., there's a women's night. Once again, Beth Guckenberger is going to be here for a group book discussion on her book, Start With Amen. It's, maybe that's something you've never tried before that you'd like to come out and say, I want to get around some other women and hear how God might be working in my life. Or tonight, Ken Kington is here. Hi, Ken. <laughs> that starts tonight. Four critical decisions. That's for the guys. A time to set aside either at 8 o'clock tonight or 6.09 tomorrow morning, same thing both times, so you can pick one, to just spend some time with some other guys giving God room to do his work. Because ultimately all of that, things like Blue Letter Bible, you know, our own app on, for Horizon, all of these pieces are to help you get into God's word, to understand him better, to know him more, and to see how he has made you perfect, has sanctified you, and is sanctifying you. So this is what I want for you today as we close in prayer. Find peace in perfection and take pleasure in sanctification. I want you to walk out of here today with the confidence that you can find peace in the perfection that Christ has won for you. And that when you feel those ups and downs, you don't do the guilt thing. That was released when you were made perfect but that you can take pleasure that you have a father who loves you, who has promised he will complete the good work that he began in you. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for these reminders. I love that they are on every page of Hebrews because I feel like I need them every week. Lord, I just pray that you would write them onto our hearts, that even this week when we need it most, you would speak some word, something that you've written to us, something that you've spoken that would be so close to our hearts that every other lie from the enemy, every other challenge from our own minds would just fade away as the light of your truth breaks through. Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't made that commitment to you before, Lord, that they would just take even this moment to say, Jesus, I know I need forgiveness and I believe you're the only one. Would you forgive me? And it's in that confidence in you, Christ, that we say thank you that you have made us perfect, and that you are making us sanctified. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming out this morning. I'd love to see you next week.